everyone. It's my pleasure to read the Bible to us this morning. Um, I'm going to begin by praying. Thank you, Father, for making yourself known to us, showing us salvation through faith in your Son. We ask you now to teach us through your word so that we may be ready to serve you for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, first reading this morning comes uh, right back in the early pages of the Bible from Genesis chapter 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And then our second reading is from Galatians chapter 3. Uh, as Tim introduced it so well, if you've not been, a, been with us in the last few weeks, this comes from the middle of Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. He's exhorting them to return to the gospel of Christ. So it does begin with some strong language. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by the means of the flesh? Have oh, you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law? Or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, 
cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Thank you, Rachel, so much. Hello, everyone. It's good to have you here. And uh, let me add a welcome to Tim's. And uh, let me just, I really appreciate Mary's uh, family spot. Is Mary still here? No, I thought, actually, I think she's out with the kids. Yep, but um, I, I'm going to find it really hard not to hear that Colin Buchanan song and sing the word amputation instead of imputation. It just totally changes the song, but I'll have to deal with that. Um, I'm sure you've heard of the man who was about to go in for surgery on one of his hands. And uh, in his final meeting with the doctor before the surgery, he said to the doctor, Look, I really just want to check something. Will I be able to play the piano when this is all done? And the doctor said to him, oh, absolutely. Let me reassure you. And the man said, oh, that's wonderful, because I couldn't play it before. Um, sometimes we, we want things in the future to be different to how they were in the past. And yet sometimes how things were in the past completely determines the present and the future. And in our passage from Galatians 3 today, I think this is one of the issues that the Apostle Paul is trying to help the Galatians come to grips with. Um, is their Christian life now and into the future to be the same as or different to the way that their Christian life was back at the start when it all began? Uh, in the Christian life, are we ever free to kind of change course halfway through or is it the same way through from beginning to end. Uh, and I hope this will be a great help to many of us. If you were here last week, you might remember that I gave an opportunity for people to put their trust in Christ for the first time. And uh, if somehow you're here with us today again and, and that's something you would like to talk to someone about, we would love to speak with you about it. Write us a little note on one of the orange cards, hand it to someone you've seen up the front here. We would love to have that conversation. But I know that for many of us here, the first time we put our trust in Christ was a long, long time ago, many, many years ago. And so our challenge perhaps is not so much how to start the Christian life, but how to continue the Christian life, how to even finish the Christian life. And, and Galatians 3, I think, is going to help us with that. Just to kind of remind us where we are and put everything in context, we, we know from the opening 10 verses that the really big issue in this letter is that the Galatians have been caught up in a battle between two different Gospels. Uh, on one hand, there is the Gospel that they first heard from Paul, uh, salvation by faith in Christ. 
who gave himself for our sins when he died on the cross and no requirement for circumcision. But more recently, another gospel has come to them, a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And it says that a person cannot be saved unless they are circumcised, according to the Jewish custom taught by Moses. And so these two different gospels, and the Galatians are caught in a battle between them both. In fact, they've actually begun to move from this gospel to that gospel, from Paul's gospel to the circumcision gospel, which, remember, isn't really a gospel at all. Now, Paul then spends the rest of chapters 1 and on into chapter 2 trying to establish and defend the authority of his gospel, and he does that with a really long autobiographical account. And he's establishing the authority of his gospel. It had authority first because it was completely independent to all the other apostles. It had authority second because it was in complete fellowship with the other apostles. It had authority third because when even the apostle Peter got things wrong and under pressure from this Jewish circumcision group began to withdraw from the Gentile believers, effectively making their their uncircumcision a more important matter than the achievements of Christ in his death on the cross, when Peter got things wrong, it was Paul who had to correct him and to remind him of the gospel that they both proclaimed, which then Paul spelt out brilliantly in the closing verses of the chapter, arguing in chapter 2, verse 16, that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, In other words, they are not declared innocent by God by obeying all the requirements of the Old Testament law, but instead by trusting in, by depending on, by placing all of their confidence in Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. And so having kind of defended and set out the gospel he proclaims, Paul now returns to the big issue of the letter, which remember is the Galatians as they move from this gospel to that gospel, Paul's gospel to the circumcision gospel, which isn't really a gospel. And so he does begin with these quite strong words that we've already had our attention drawn to in chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly proclaimed as crucified. It is very strong language it's a very strong tone but the matter is urgent Paul thinks Uh, he can see that just like Peter before them the Galatians by their actions are about to completely deny the gospel they received that by beginning to give in to this requirement for circumcision they are foolishly forsaking the grace of God They are foolishly forsaking the achievements of Christ who in Paul's preaching to them was clearly portrayed as crucified. And having begun like that, Paul now launches into a series of of rhetorical questions, just one after another, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5. And rhetorical questions, we need to pay attention when they come up. Um, Because the whole thing about rhetorical questions is you don't need to answer them. The answer is obvious. Even to ask the question is to mount an argument. 
And so in this case, uh, all the answers have to be clear. And um, the, the questions revolve around two contrasts. The first one is already familiar to us because it's the same contrast we saw in chapter 2, verse 16 that we spent so much time with last week. It's the contrast between works and faith. Uh, in verses 2 and 5, works of the law and believing what you heard. Or in verse 3, means of the flesh and means of the spirit. So, so works and faith, that's the first contrast. The second contrast has to do with two different points in the Christian life. Um, the start and the finish. The, the beginning and the end. Verse 3 is in some ways the clearest place to see it. After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Are you now trying to be perfected by means of the flesh? Uh, or if we compare verses 2 and 5, it's not quite the beginning and the end so much as the past and the present. Uh, in verse 2, it's about how they received the Spirit in the past. And verse 5, it's about how God still works in them by His Spirit in the present. And so these two sets of contrasts going on. Perhaps we want to stop and ask the question, well, hang on, how did Paul even begin talking about the Spirit? Where did that come from? We haven't really heard anything about that so far. But what we need to remember here is that on our side of Jesus' death and resurrection, God's gift of the Holy Spirit is really the defining gift of gospel salvation. Uh, because no one can say Jesus is Lord except by God's Holy Spirit. So you can never find a Christian anywhere who doesn't have the Spirit. And if you, you can't find someone who has the Spirit who isn't a Christian. They, they just go together, these two things. And so in the book of Acts, uh, that's why it's the fact that God gives His Spirit even to the Gentiles that convinces the Jewish believers that Gentiles are now part of God's plan for salvation. So, so in Acts chapter 15, there's a very important meeting uh, in Jerusalem, they, they call it the Council in Jerusalem, and uh, they were trying to settle the, the issue of Gentile salvation, and here's what Peter said uh, in Acts chapter 15. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips uh, the message of the gospel and that they might believe. And, and God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he gave to us. And so the Spirit is the defining gift of gospel salvation. But back in Galatians 3, Paul's point is simply that from beginning to end and everything in between, the Christian life is by faith in Christ Jesus, not works of the law. From beginning to end and everything in between, God gives his spirit and continues to work in his people by his spirit, by faith in Christ Jesus, not by works of the law. From beginning to end and everything in between, the Christian life is by means of the spirit, not by means of the flesh. The Christian life is constantly about hearing with faith the clearly proclaimed message about Jesus Christ who was crucified for our sins. We don't move beyond that. That's the whole ball of wax, the start and the end. 
And so as disciples of Jesus, we need constantly to hear and to rehear. And every day we need God's help to, to not look back in the mirror at ourselves, but through the window of Scripture to the cross of Christ. We are prone to wander, as the old hymn puts it. Prone to leave the Lord we love. So easily we too can be bewitched, like the Galatians, as if someone had put a spell over us. And perhaps for us, it's very unlikely that we will feel the pressure to start obeying Jewish Old Testament law as a means of our salvation. But still, the danger of some form of law-keeping as a way to get right with God or to stay right with God, the danger of some form of works, not faith, is ever before us. Uh, so easily we can look at ourselves and maybe we begin to feel a little bit morally superior to others and we, we begin to trust in our own achievements and our own activities rather than relying solely on the cross of Christ. We need to constantly hear and rehear the gospel. Perhaps, you know, if in the busyness of, and the stress of the last few months you've lost this habit, maybe you want to try and set yourself the goal of just waking up 10 to 15 minutes earlier every day and giving yourself some space to read the Bible and to pray uh, that you could remind yourself and give God thanks for the gospel by which you are saved. Uh, maybe you could pick a, a, a loved Christian hymn or a song and uh, you could listen to it every day on the way into work, on the bus, in the train, on, in the car. And let it remind you of everything God has done through Christ for you. And, and then spend time responding in, in thanksgiving and prayer. Uh, maybe you could set yourself a couple of verses from Galatians and try and memorize them this week so that God's word is constantly in your mind and in your heart. You could pick chapter 2, verses 15 to 16. You could pick chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Uh, maybe you could grab a book from the bookstore and try to go a bit deeper into the gospel of salvation. But friends, we, if we are disciples of Christ... Uh, the way we began must also be the way we continue. Uh, if we couldn't play the piano before, we mustn't try to play it now. If we began by faith in Christ Jesus, we mustn't try to finish by works of the flesh. We must rather continue by faith in Christ Jesus. And so we live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. How we began is how we go on. And so now to our second heading, <clears throat> Abraham's faith and the promise of the gospel. Because in chapter 3, verse 6, Paul quotes one of his favourite verses to explain the gospel from the Old Testament. We read it before, the account of Abraham in Genesis 15. And, and so Paul writes in Galatians 3, So also Abraham, just as Abraham, believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And there's one quick thing to try and explain, which I hope will be helpful, not just for Galatians, but whenever you read these words in the New Testament. In English, 
the words righteousness and justification, they sound like two completely unrelated kind of word groups, two different word, they don't even sound anything like each other, righteousness and justification. Uh, we've got them up on the screen here as both nouns and verbs, and, and they just sound like they're not at all anything to do with each other. But in the New Testament Greek, it, they come from exactly the same kind of word group. And, and you might not be able to read that, but dikaiosune, dikaiosis, dikaio, for what it's worth, they're all the same word group, but they get translated in these English words that sound nothing like each other. But what that means is that in chapter 2, verse 16, when Paul says that a person is justified by faith in Christ Jesus, and now in chapter 3, verse 6, that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, those words, justified and righteousness, they're very closely related. They're really talking about the same underlying reality. They're talking about how God declares a person innocent, not guilty. They're talking about the status of innocence that God has declared about a person. They sound unrelated in English, but they are the same thing at heart. And so that's why this verse talks about Abraham's faith being credited to him as righteousness. It's not that his faith is now a work that earns God's favour, but by God's grace, his faith, his trust, his confidence in God's promises is counted to him as righteousness. Now, in passing, uh, here's an Old Testament quote from Genesis 15. As we go on uh, in, in just our verses today, verses 6 to 18, there's, there are seven direct Old Testament quotes and as we go through chapters 3 and 4, we'll find one argument from the Old Testament after another. And it's, it's such a contrast to chapters 1 and 2, isn't it? In chapters 1 and 2, there was this long autobiographical account and the argument was very personal and experiential. But now it's this really Old Testament kind of exegetical argument that just keeps coming up at us in all sorts of different ways. And, and you kind of think to yourself, why is that? I mean, the Galatians, they're not Jewish. They're Gentiles. They probably don't have this deep, in-depth understanding of the Old Testament, do they? Why does Paul argue so deeply from the Old Testament in chapters 3 and 4? I suspect that the reason may be because all the pressure that the Galatians were feeling was coming to them from a Jewish angle. Remember the circumcision group from Judea, from Jerusalem, from James even though it's very unlikely that James himself had sanctioned the message. But all the pressure they're under is coming from this Jewish angle, and, and that's why Paul's argument is so heavily based in the Old Testament, because he wants to make clear that the circumcision-free gospel of salvation is not something eccentric and peculiar to him. No, no, it is what the Old Testament scriptures, properly read and understood, had anticipated all along. It's what they point to. And so his argument is so rich in the Old Testament in chapters 3 and 4. And from a Jewish perspective, there's not really a better place to start than Abraham, and so that's where, that's where Paul goes. And the good thing about Abraham is that he allows Paul, in verses 7 to 9, to prove two things about the gospel he proclaims. The first thing he can prove from Abraham about the gospel he proclaims is that faith and not works is and has always been the means of obtaining God's blessing. Uh, that's why in verse 7, those who have faith, they are the children of Abraham. 
or in verse 9, those who rely on faith, they are the ones who are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Faith is the means of obtaining God's blessing, not works. That's the first point Paul makes using Abraham. The second point he makes is that right from the beginning, from Abraham, the Gentiles, like the Galatians, the Gentiles, like us, in fact, many of us, most of us, the Gentiles have always been in God's mind and God's plan as those who would receive his blessing by faith. Because uh, in verse 8, Paul goes back just a few chapters earlier than Genesis 15 that he's already quoted. And uh, he, he argues that in Genesis 12, God announced the gospel in advance by saying, through you, Abraham, all nations will be blessed. And so you see the two things that Paul argues. Faith is the means of obtaining God's blessing. God's blessing by faith is also for Gentiles. And so Paul's gospel is not at odds with the history of Abraham. It's what the history of Abraham anticipated all along. Salvation, justification, righteousness is by faith in Christ Jesus and not by works of the law. And it's by faith in Christ Jesus and not by works of the law for both Jews and Gentiles. The idea that unless a person is circumcised, they cannot be saved is a complete distortion of the gospel. It nullifies the grace of God. It makes Christ's death to be of no value. All of those things Paul will say at some point in Galatians. But it is even worse than that. Because for those who pursue such a path to salvation, not only does it leave them short of salvation, it, it actually actively puts them under God's curse. That's what Paul argues in verse 10, isn't it? For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Uh, yesterday morning, lots of us kind of ran the election gauntlet. Uh, some of us will have voted early, but those of us who enjoy voting on the day... You approach the polling centre and you see lots of people and you think, oh, there's a lot of people voting. But most of them are actually wearing special coloured shirts and they're there with giant bits of paper who will tell you how to vote for their candidate. And you run the gauntlet going through them all. Now, Sarah, being the kind and encouraging person that she is, decided that if she was going to get one of these bits of paper, she should, in honour of them all, collect every bit of paper. And so she did. And even at, at 8 o'clock morning tea, someone said, oh, I don't get any of them. But that's the deal, right? You go all of them or none of them. You can't do one of them or some of them. You, it's all or nothing. And, and that now means our recycle bin has, you know, six or seven different how-to-vote guidelines in it. There's some kind of dynamic like that when it comes to the Lord. Remember we heard this last week. When it comes to Old Testament law-keeping, you cannot just cherry-pick circumcision in isolation from everything else. If you're going to keep one, you've got to keep them all. If you're going to do circumcision, you have to do everything. That's just how the law works. The law demands perfect, complete obedience. But since even the Old Testament acknowledges that the righteous will live by faith, 
And since the law is based not on faith but on doing, and since in any case none of us can perfectly keep the law, therefore all who rely on the works of the law are under God's curse. What a horrendous outcome for those who came to Antioch seeking the salvation of the Gentiles. Even if they themselves earnestly meant it, all they've actually done is take people to condemnation. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse, says Paul. The blessing of God, the gift of righteousness, of justification, is not found by way of law-keeping. Down that path lies only God's curse. That's what the Galatians have to understand. But of course, Paul, being the gospel man that he is, he can't speak of God's curse without finding another way to explain the gospel. And so he does that in verse 13, which you could also consider as a verse to memorize this week. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole, on a tree. Can you hear Paul's gospel once again? It's all about Christ. It's all about what Christ achieved in his death on the cross. Christ redeemed us. He bought us. He purchased us. He purchased our freedom. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That is by carrying in his crucified body in our place, on our behalf, as our substitute, the entire curse of God, the complete judgment of God, all the anger of God that is deservedly ours because of sin. He carried it. Of course, if Christ, by his death, has purchased our freedom from the curse of the law, what, what else is left but now the blessing of God? I mean, if the curse has been bought, taken away, what else is left but the blessing? And so verse 14, the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Can you hear Paul's gospel again? Can you hear just how clearly he portrays before our very eyes Jesus Christ who was crucified for our sins? He became a curse for us to redeem us from the curse of the law. It's all about Christ. It's all about what Christ has achieved in his death on the cross. It's not about circumcision or any other form of law-keeping or human works. We are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Come back to verses 1 to 5. If we can hear Paul's gospel, are we hearing with faith? Are we believing what we have heard? Once again, we must learn and relearn the gospel every day. We may think that we already know the gospel, and, and I know that many of us do. But brothers and sisters, very quickly we can forget how deeply sinful we are and we can begin to think that we are morally superior to others and we can start to use our good works as a way kind of to congratulate ourselves 
about our standing before God. And on paper, our theology might say that we all fall short of God's glory, but day by day, we maybe have started to live without ever really thinking seriously of ourselves as sinners by nature. In which case, perhaps, our humble dependence on the grace of God just gets dimmer and dimmer. It might still be part of our intellectual furniture, as one person puts it, but in our hearts, it may not be the way we really think of ourselves anymore. Uh, Martin Luther described trying to be justified by the law as like counting money out of an empty purse. There's an image to take with us into the week ahead. Our works always fall short of the glory of God. We cling to the cross of Christ alone, where the full payment for our sins was made on our behalf. Let me lead us in prayer. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ, who redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Uh, We don't deserve it, but we are so grateful for it. So help us to be people who not only have begun by faith, but who continue by faith in Christ Jesus, who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen.